Welcome to Southside Conversations, a monthly podcast brought to you by the Center for Dairy Excellence. We've heard time and time again that dairy farmers learn the most from other dairy farmers. So in this podcast, we are going to share real-time farmer insights, tricks of the trade, and inspiring stories from dairies across Pennsylvania. I'm Jane Seabright, Director at the Center. Here's this month's episode. Thanks for joining us. The holiday season is here and it's a crazy time for most of us, but can you imagine having to fill a bunch of orders from last-minute customers looking for that perfect guest? For those dairy farms in the artisan cheese business, that is exactly what this time of year can look like. So for this episode, I've invited Sue Miller from Birch Run Hills Farm to share a little bit about their farm and about their artisan cheese business. Recently, there's been this resurgence of dairy farmers making their own cheese. And I often refer to Sue as the godmother of this artisan cheese movement in Pennsylvania because she is such an advocate for this growing segment of the industry. So welcome, Sue, and thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Jane. I'm glad you could join us. So can you begin by sharing a little bit about your dairy operation, who's involved, your size and scale, and where you're located? Yeah, sure. Um, Bertram Hills Farm is probably smaller than most of the typical dairy farms um, that you may be interviewing for uh, this podcast. But we are in northern Chester County, Chester Springs. We have 54 acres here, and that's why I say we're kind of small. And we milk about 70 cows. We also have um, 70 young stock uh, here at the farm. It's my husband, Ken, and I. Ken um, kind of runs the cropping operation. And then our two grown sons, Randy and Jesse, both came back to work with us here on the farm because they saw the potential in the cheesemaking side of the business. So Randy, our oldest son, he's the herdsman here. He takes care of the cows. He manages the reproductive work, the health work, uh, raises all the young stock. And then Jesse, our youngest son, he works half of the time with me in the cheese making and then half of the time on the farm doing cropping or assisting Randy. Um, he manages all of our farmers markets of which we do about seven a week. And then he manages our retail partners and our online presence. And he kind of is sort of, um, I have to say he has the hardest job because he, he uh, can get caught in a tug of war between the farm side and the cheese side, but it keeps it interesting and exciting. I think for all of us to be working together. Yeah, that's that's really neat that you were able to bring both of your sons back on a smaller dairy farm, and this cheese business really provided that opportunity. So can you tell us a little bit about the history of, of the farm and um, how it's grown and changed over the years? Bertrand Hills Farm has been in my husband's family, although the farming skipped a generation. Ken's um, father was a school teacher. But his grandfather was a farmer on this little farm, and his grandmother's family was here before that. Um, His grandfather sold the cows in the 50s, probably in the late 50s, and then just farmed the ground and had chickens. And so when Ken got to the age where he could start farming, when he was probably 8 or 10, he worked with his dad to farm ground here and in the area which sounds so young, but as a kid, he was just crazy about agriculture, crazy about farming, crazy about tractors. Um, In fact, it's funny because when I first met Ken and we would uh, go out to church, all of the older uh, members would would talk about, you know, my husband and and his bug for farming and how he always wanted to help them the whole time he was Mm -hmm. growing up. And that's all he wanted to focus on. So I think it's a real testament to be able to like, realize a dream, you know, of of agriculture and just through dedication, really. So this farm has been here um, for over a hundred years in the Ken family, but did skip a generation. And then I didn't grow up on a farm. Um, I kind of think my parents, my mother fancied herself as a homesteader because she lived in New Jersey and my parents bought a little kind of wooded piece of property out here in Chester County. And when I was eight years old, we got into 4-H and I had sheep and chickens and we had pigs and a pony. 
And I think my love for animals really came from that experience in 4-H. You know, 4-H really mm-hmm. defines a lot of us as we get older, and it was very impactful for me. And then I know also for my kids, too. Yeah, definitely 4-H can build lifelong careers that got started there. So tell us a little bit about when and why you first became passionate about making cheese on your dairy farm. Well, once I met Ken, and I often say, I don't know if I fell in love with the cows before him or before the cows, (laughs) because you know how it is to go down that slippery slope with the cows. Yeah, yeah, I really loved working with cows, and it was such an easy thing for me to kind of jump into that part of milking and feeding calves and um, doing the uh, genetic work with the cows long before we started making cheese. But as kind of in a way, first-generation farmers that, you know, we came onto this ground a little bit differently. Uh, It, there are challenges, you know, when you don't have multiple, multiple, multi-generational equity in the land, it's sort of, you may have to make some different decisions. So as, you know, milk markets became more and more erratic, we were just struggling to make ends meet, you know, on a small dairy farm. We had grown the herd to about 120 cows. And at a high point, we were farming about 1,000 acres. Development encroachment here in Chester County really eradicated a lot of that rented land that we farmed. Um, But we realized with struggling with the low milk prices that we really needed to do something different. And I literally woke up one morning. I thought, well, maybe I could learn how to make cheese. And of course, Ken was like, you know, he's always game for any of my ideas. And um, so he's like, well, let's look into it. So I was able to get into a cheese making class that PASA, the Pennsylvania Association for Sustainable Agriculture, was holding in Western PA with a cheesemaker from Vermont, Vermont named Peter Dixon. He and his wife now run Parish Hill Creamery, but he's spent many, many years consulting and teaching Um, people how to make cheese. He's really a special person in that he um, gives so much of his knowledge to others. And, you know, sometimes in a competitive marketplace, people aren't always willing to do that. But the cheese-making world is very different. You know, people want to see each other do well. And so I was able to take a class with him. Um, And when I came home, we were fortunate enough that there was a cheese-making facility um, at a nonprofit farm down the road from us that had been standing vacant and they offered it to us so that we could get started. Because remember, you know, we did not have the capital. We are really struggling to make ends meet. And so that's an important part of this, this story of our farm is that we were able to rent this facility for a very reasonable price. Um, and it allowed us the opportunity to get started and to see where the potential of this business could go which was really, really great for our, our, our farm. Yeah, and I, you had mentioned the gentleman who taught you, or trained you how to make cheese. One thing that I thought was really good, uh, you had said a while ago, was um, how there's always opportunity for new artisan cheese makers. Um, it's definitely not a saturated industry because there's such, it's such a local, local um industry and there's such opportunity. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because I thought that was really interesting that, you know, regardless of, I I remember there was three cheesemakers and all three of you said we'd welcome more artisan cheesemakers and you definitely didn't look at them as like, oh, we don't want more competitors. Um, Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, First of all, I think regionally when a dairy farm transitions to creating some sort of farmstead product, the people in that community really want to support them. Uh, One thing I've learned from going to farmer's markets is that the people in your community and the consumers that you meet really do care about the dairy industry. It's just that farmers don't really come across them. So they don't really have that um, impact of that knowledge of how much people do really care about the rural landscape across the state and, you know, the survival of small family farms like ours and many around the state. 
I think when you start making cheese, you know, your neighbors are definitely going to come out and support. But then there's also this whole other avenue of um, potential customers that really the artisan cheese world hasn't experienced. If you think about it, in Europe, there is such a deep history of artisanal and farmstead cheese making that there is amazing cheese everywhere. You rarely will you find, you know, like Velveeta or the grocery stores aren't stocked with just craft or, you know, bulk cheddars, you know, uh, private labeled. There is, um, you know, a diversity to the cheese selection and comes from a lot of different size operations. And if you walk into a grocery store here in the United States, rarely do you see anything, you know, that comes from the artisanal side of the world. Now, that is starting to change, you know, with like Wegmans and Whole Foods. And um, that giant has been really supportive of Pennsylvania products. But the more that people get to understand about cheese and the beauty of it and how there's a great story to it um, and how it comes from this region, I think we're just going to continue to grow our customer base for whoever is selling. Now, that doesn't mean that it's gonna be just the easiest thing ever, but I think that the more artisanal cheese that gets into the hands of consumers, the better it is for all of us because once people try it, they realize how great it is. They realize that it may be a little bit more expensive, but there's a real value back to them in quality, um, nutritional quality, also a cultural quality that comes along with it, that they'll start to tell their friends and probably buy cheeses from other cheesemakers. So I do think we're at this point where we, we can see more growth happening in the state and um, work together to kind of build those consumers. Because listen, there's a lot of people that live in the Mid-Atlantic region that we can reach very easily with our products who know nothing about Pennsylvania mm -hmm. cheese. So or Pennsylvania I'm, farm. I'm excited about Yeah, Pennsylvania farms too. I'm excited about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, it's a great way to share our story, I think, especially like if you you're relatively close to the inner city markets and I know um it's it's probably a way for them it's a great way for them to connect to that that where their food comes from that they don't get to experience just going into the local grocery store and buying products. So my next question is, oh, why did you decide to make cheese as opposed to ice cream or bottling milk or some other value-added enterprise? Well, we have a neighbor who is a really good friend of ours, um, Sam Matthews, out at Milky Way Farm. If you're from the southeastern part of Pennsylvania, you may very well know them. Um, they've been making ice cream there for a long time. They also have a pumpkin patch, and they do educational tours. So it made sense for us to not make ice cream because Sam's over there doing a great job, and um, we have so much respect for them. And then we have um, a little jug store not far from us, Cobb's Dairy Store, that um, is really close as well. And we were also thinking, what can we do to – get the highest value from the milk. And we felt that the cheese was a really good avenue for that. And honestly, I just love cheese. Our whole family loves cheese. Um, and when we decided to do this, I was like taken right back to a visit that I had with my parents to um, the Italian market in Philadelphia. We walked into De Bruno Brothers, which is called the House of Cheese. And I remember going in there when I was like eight years old and just totally consumed by, you know, the aromas and the flavors of the cheese and sort of this interaction um, with the person behind the counter and, and my family when we were trying to pick out some cheeses. It's not like we knew any of these cheeses, mm -hmm. but I was taken right to that moment as if it was so clear in my mind after not thinking of it for many years when we started to say, well, let's, let's try making cheese. And also, I was really fortunate to have met um, Melanie Dietrich Cochran out, Cochran Dietrich out at Keswick Creamery. She is, um, has been making cheese for well over 20 years in New Newville, kind of Newville area. And she's just been 
she was selling into Washington, D.C. markets. And I felt like, oh, you know, I think there's an opportunity here for us um, after watching how Melanie has grown her business. So Mm -hmm. that was really inspiring. So tell us a little bit about the process of making cheese. How much of the milk you produce on the dairy is used for the cheese? How often are you getting the milk? How often are you making the cheese? How are you transferring it, et cetera? Yeah, um, we make cheese five days a week here, Sunday through Thursday. We use about 50% of our milk for cheese making. Um, And we're fortunate enough that we have a – pipeline that our our farm is kind of on a hill and our dairy barn sits up above the creamery and we're able to gravity feed the milk from our bulk tank down into the creamery which is really great because the less the milk is disturbed the better the quality we don't want to like break up the fat globules or you know be too harsh on the milk Um, we wanted to come in just in the most (laughs) perfect way Mm -hmm. possible. So we're able to gravity feed the milk right in. Uh, We have two cheese vats in the production facility. Oftentimes we're making two batches at one time, Um, but Sunday through through Thursday is set aside for cheese making. And then Friday and Saturday, we're preparing for other events that we're doing here at the farm and then farmer's markets. So mm-hmm. we're out here seven days a week, just like when we're out milking cows. So uh, in talking about the milk, are there quality or component goals you have to meet with the milk to use it in your cheese? Well, one of the things that led us to cheese making was we knew we had this really beautiful milk because our cows are out on pasture. We're also feeding a really high forage diet. So we're looking for just high quality milk um, and we're looking for a pretty good butter fat and uh, protein and we're looking for a particular ratio between the two and so that really guides us to um, quality of the milk flavor of the milk you know the beautiful microflora that's there in that raw milk that is really indicative of this herd and this farm and the feed that we grow and um, you know I think that that whole thought of, you know, the origin, how the milk originates with the soil and what the cows are eating helps to guide us um, in our cheese making, you know, because if we don't have great quality milk, we're not going to have great quality cheese. So it really starts with the milk and these, these things that I was talking about, the high butter fat, the high protein and clean, and, but also the diversity of the microflora. Because we make a lot of raw milk cheeses here, and uh, that really kind of um, speaks to, I don't know, the essence or the terroir of our cheeses, the microflora in the milk. So when you talk about high protein and high butter fat, like what what level on average, like what percentage on average are you, do you like to see in the milk? Well, we're milking a herd of Holsteins here. We have the black and whites and we have the red and whites. So, you know, typically, I mean, I think times are really changing and how people are chasing components in their milk, which is a good thing for, you know, mm-hmm. the economics of it. But we want to have our butter fat always over 4.0% and mm-hmm. our protein at about 3.2. And we feel like this ratio of the two really works well for many of the styles of cheeses that we're making. If we were making a herd of jerseys, we may be thinking a little bit differently about the styles of cheese that we're making. But because of this fat, this protein to fat ratio, we feel like we have a lot of opportunity to make many different styles of cheese and make them make them well. Because, okay, let's think about a herd of jerseys. If you're running over 5% milk and you want to make an alpine style cheese, these alpine style cheeses don't utilize all that precious butter fat in the milk. They, it really kind of wants to spin it off into the whey. Um, so they may not be best suited for what mm-hmm. we want to do here. But that farmer who's milking those jerseys may be making something, you know, very different that is just perfect for their milk. So mm-hmm. each farm is different. You know, it's kind of like, I want to say it's like farming. There's many different ways to do it and to do it well and do it right. And 
um, this process of the components and what we feed the cows works really well for many different styles of cheeses that we're making. Yeah, I really liked that last thing that you said. It's kind of like far farming. There's many ways to do it well and do it right. And I think sometimes we forget that, that just because the neighbor down the road's not making cheese or milking their cows exactly in the same way we are. It doesn't mean that they're doing it wrong. There's lots of different ways to do it. So yeah. um, You are so true. That is so true. In fact, I was just going to jump in here. Um, when I first started making cheese, I went to a conference, and I had um, one of my cheeses, this alpine-style cheese, and somebody said to me, well, what kind of cows do you milk? And I said, well, we milk, milk Holsteins. And she said, she was aghast. She said, you cannot make that type of cheese from Holstein milk. And I said, well, well, there it is. <laughs> I, I am, and I have been, and you may be a little misguided. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so tell us about the types of regulations that you have to follow related to the cheese business itself and what types of permits you have to get to make your cheese or you've had to have. Right. So our dairy facility where the milk production is, you know, where we milk the cows, of course, that's all inspected. We still ship to a co-op, a little co-op called Lanco, um, and, you know, we're on our regular inspection up there. Here in the cheese making operation, we carry a manufactured um, uh, dairy permit, cheese permit from the Pennsylvania Department of Ag. And under that permit, we get inspected every three months um, with the inspector. They come in, they we also have a pasteurizer because we make some um, pasteurized cheeses. So our inspector will come and test that pasteurizer to make it make sure it's accurate and kind of go through the facility, look at our records, just make sure we're compliant in all ways. But beyond that, we're also um, under, you know, regulatory oversight from the FDA. Um, and right now, PDA has been working closely with the FDA to, to kind of provide some of that oversight, which I think is really smart because um, the local inspectors know the producers far better than maybe somebody coming in from Philadelphia or Pittsburgh or somewhere else to provide an inspection in the area or to check on things. Um, but yes, we're under milk quality um, oversight and um, antibiotic testing. We have to provide that for every single um, batch of cheese that we make. Um, but, you know, we have to just um, be compliant with all the all the um, all of the testing requirements, which is is uh, very manageable when you have a, a well cared for herd of cows and a clean facility, and you know you are educated and you are thoughtful about it, and you are interested in doing the very best because you know cheese making comes with a really kind of weighty responsibility. You're feeding mm -hmm. people and you want to make sure that you give the very best, safest quality product that tastes the best and gives the best experience to every person that you hand your cheese to. So it's truly a, a very um, special relationship and a, and a huge responsibility. So let's talk about your role as a cheese maker. What do you think the top three skills are that are most critical to that role? Well, um, I, I think you could ask me this different days and I might come up and say something a little bit different, but I think that the top three things will always kind of be in this realm of um, number one is really understanding the milk that I work with. Like I feel like knowing the milk every day is really important. Because as artisanal cheesemakers, we're not standardizing the milk like it would if it went into some big industrial plant. We are really embracing the milk as the herd's changing, depending on where the cows are in their lactation, how the feed is changing, has it been a dry year, has it been a wet year, um, what is happening in the vat, what is happening in the aging room because of these things. I think that is like one of the most important things you need to know as a cheesemaker. Another one would be really knowing the science and technology behind cheese making. Um, you know, you can understand the milk, but if you don't know how to make cheese and understand, you know, the technology mm -hmm. behind that, you'll be lost. 
Um, I think also a really important thing is the skill of observation. That's really important in cheese making, you know, like really paying attention. Every load of milk that actually comes in here, the first thing I do is I pull some and then I drink it every morning to say, is this what we, you know, is, is anything, do I taste anything different? Do I taste anything off? Um, Randy and I meet every couple of days to talk about what's going on with the herd. Is any of the feed changing? But really the understanding the milk, understanding technical skills, skills of op observation are really, really important. So what would surprise someone if you, if you were telling them that about your job? Well, I think that so much of what I do is intuitive. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy because, you know, you have this science of cheese making. You have, you know, this so such science base. But I really, really listen to my intuition about a lot, whether it's in the vat or whether it's about what I'm going to make or whether it's whether to go to an event. Sometimes I do things that look like absolutely I shouldn't be doing that, and my intuition says, you go for it. Jump off the cliff and follow this path. And I think, you know, it hasn't really guided me wrong. I think it's really important to listen to yourself and to live that, you know, whatever it is that's, that is speaking to you in your heart or that you know. Like, a lot a lot I do is with in, intuition. That's that's not only good advice for cheese making. That's good life advice. Trust your gut. <laughs> um, yeah, trust so, your gut. Yeah. So there's quite a bit of creativity that goes into your cheese flavors and your names. Can you talk a little bit about the process you go through for recipe creation and naming products? Yeah, a lot of recipe creation is. Um, you know, maybe I'll start out with a basic recipe because there are recipes out there. You know, you can get a hold of recipes anywhere, a lot of cheese making recipes, whether it's in a book or online or from going to classes. And then I think we make it based on that recipe. We'll make a, re make a cheese. And then I start thinking about, well, how do I want it to be a little different? Or maybe even before I've made it and I've had this cheese, you know, from a a cheese shop or somewhere and I think oh I really like that but I think I could do it a little bit differently and have a different spin to make it you know of Bertrand Hills because I don't want to make it the way they make it in Europe I want to maybe use that as a guide but really make it from here so um, sometimes we're thinking oh are we going to do something a little bit different in the that is the milk a little bit different is this cheese typically you know made from you know, maybe a, a bunch of crossbred cows that are 100% grass-fed, and, you know, we're talking about very different components. And so what would I do differently in the vat to mediate that a little bit? Um, sometimes you make a cheese and you just realize, well, maybe we shouldn't be making that one, or maybe we shouldn't make it this time of year because the milk's not right. So it's a long process. Um, you can make a cheese and make it great the first time, but can you do it every single time you make it? <laughs> you know, it's kind of, we're talking about a lot of changing things that happen. You know, if it's a drought year, it's going to be different in the aging room because the ground is so dry and you may be like pulling moisture out. And so um, you're trying to, you're low on humidity. So there's a lot that goes into sort of planting these cheeses. And some of them really, you can hit it out of the park and others, are continue to be a work in progress and the work in progress that's kind of an exciting thing too because it really gives you a chance to like decide how committed you are to making this cheese you know if it doesn't come out exactly the way you want it the first time and it's good how are you going to market it but it's really not that cheese that you want maybe in six months from now when you've had a chance to hone that recipe and really hone the development of it so um, we just added a new cheese to our lineup. It's a Valencia style. This is a soft ripened cheese that would be typically, it's a French cheese typically made with goat's milk. Um, it's delicate. It has like a vegetable ash layer on the rind, and that's there to kind of change the pH of the rind so that you can develop this bloomy rind on the outside. Um, we just decided, well, I think it's such a beautiful cheese. There aren't many of them being made 
on, on the East Coast. And so maybe we can make it for our CSA customers because we have such a good rotation for them. And so um, we spent about six months putting this, you know, developing this cheese. And each time it's been really good, um, which is good. But sometimes we learn, oh, we might have put too much salt on it. And so it didn't ripen as quickly as we wanted it to or get the rind development. You know, so we're just, all of these little nuances come into play when developing a cheese. And then you have to come up with a great name because so many of the names of these European counterparts are protected by the region where they're made, which makes so much sense. And honestly, you know, we don't live there. We're not farming there. We shouldn't be using their names. We should be using a name that is meaningful to the region where we are, which creates a fun opportunity for cheesemakers. Um, I like to talk about my friend Stephanie Angstad up at the Valley Milk House in the Ole Valley in Berks County. All of her cheeses are named for flowers and weeds. Her grandfather um, had a fertilizer business, and um, when she came back, somehow she stumbled upon this old weed book that he had, and that's where her inspiration for names comes from. Our inspiration for names comes a little bit from, you know, the cows. We have a, a cheese called Little Shardy that's named after a cow that Randy and Jesse bought together when they were teenagers. Um, or this powder mill, the new Valencia-style cheese, because it has that ash coating, we named it after a gunpowder mill that is on the other side, the back side of our farm that mm -hmm. um, was used during the Revolutionary War to make gunpowder. So um, we can find inspiration anyway, and I think that our customers are delighted about it, and it gives us an opportunity to create a conversation when somebody comes to the table. Yeah, I think that's actually, yeah, I actually was going to say, I think that's what's so fascinating when I hear you talk about your cheese is this, the story you tell behind each cheese. And I've heard you do it not only with your cheeses, but it seems like a lot of artists and cheesemakers create a name so they can tell a story about that cheese. And I think that's really cool. It's, it is fun, isn't it? It's like, okay, we're all working hard. Let's be delighted in our work in yeah. many different ways. And this is one of them. <laughs> yeah. So can you talk a little bit about how you market your cheese? Do you have a target market or a target audience? Are your sales mostly local or online? Um, how right. have you built your clientele over the years? When we first started making cheese, we thought, well, let's sell direct to the customer because we had been shipping our milk to a co-op and taking the price that we were given. And we felt if we could make this cheese, you know, we could determine the pricing structure on it. And we thought the highest value would be direct to the customer. So we started out with farmer's markets. And in this area, there weren't really, I mean, I had uh, Pete Demsher from Shell Bark Hollow he made goat cheese. He was at the farmer's markets, and we became friends right away. But there wasn't a lot of competition. Um, and honestly, we don't think of each other as competition. But that was a really great way for me to get started because, you know, I could go out on a Saturday and a Sunday and go to the farmer's market and sell to a concentrated um, kind of captive audience of consumers who were looking for something local, looking for some kind of high quality um, food and love the story behind it. And that is, was been, was a really great way for me to kind of learn about what the consumers want, learn how to interact with them, um, you know, find the common ground um, and really share what we do so that we could sell this cheese that we were producing. It didn't take long until restaurants, heard about the cheeses that we had and they started contacting us and so we started wholesaling and we were really fortunate that right out of the gate we had a couple of really important customers the de bruno brothers that i spoke about earlier um they were one of our first retail customers we were working um with the white dog in philadelphia which is kind of iconic farm to table restaurant and um in our area we have a great um uh, i don't they're not really an independent grocer um, with Kimberton Whole Foods. They were really wonderful first customers. So that we were able to sell everything that we could produce 
whether it was through the farmer's market or to some local restaurants and local retailers. And that gave me the confidence to keep growing and adding new mm-hmm. styles of cheese. So talk about how you interact with your customers now that you've built up that market base and the types of cheeses. How how do you interact with them? How are you keeping them engaged in your project, products, that kind of thing? I think that's always the case, you know, like how do we keep them interested in what we're doing? Because it take, does take time to develop these new cheeses. Mm-hmm. And people always walk up to the table and say, what do you have that's new? <laughs> like, oh my gosh, we have 20 cheeses out here. Is there not something that you absolutely love today? Um, but so that makes us, you know, trying to find ways to um, – keep something kind of new and interesting for them, even though they're always enjoying um, kind of the flagship cheeses that we make. You know, I think Mm -hmm. um, whether it's something simple, uh, we added this fromage blanc, which is a fresh spreadable cheese, and we can um, add flavoring to that. We have one with honey. Uh, Whether it's like developing new flavors like that helps to keep them engaged, or whether it's just through like, our email communication talking that's another way we have people come to the table we send out a weekly email and um this summer we featured a cow each week you know we, uh-huh. we had a picture of her we had the story of her what her production was kind of like you know the personality of that cow because they all have their personalities and people really love to come to the table to talk about them whether it's luster or <laughs> scarlet, you know, when I stopped doing it, I thought, oh, maybe they're tired of this. When I stopped doing that, everybody's like, what about, can't you talk more about the cows? We want to learn learn more about that. So <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll get out there and get more pictures of them. Um, but, you know, just always trying to give people the ideas for using the cheese, because honestly, a lot of people think it has to be used in um cookery and cooking they're unsure how to cheese build a cheese board we really i think it's important to just be the guide for people you know mm-hmm. because it can be intimidating to come to the cheese table and not know what the cheese is or what it tastes like um so i like to tell people we're like your librarians of cheese you know you never go to the library where the librarians are always nice we want to help you so I think the biggest thing is creating an environment when people walk up to the table, we know their name, we know what they had for dinner, we know their family members, and that personal connection is really important to us, my whole family, and I think it's really important to um, the people who support our farm. You know, they like to know about what's going on with us, and we really are interested in what's happening in their world and their family. Actually, looking at your website, and I saw that you have grazing boards where they can actually um, buy a grazing board for two and come out to your farm to enjoy it, which is a really cool idea. Then they can sample cheeses there. Yes. And I think that's like one of the things, like what are we going to, how do we keep growing and keep interesting, keep ourselves interesting to the community? Um, But we started this happy hour on the farm where people can come, we have picnic tables out, um, they can get a grazing board, or maybe we're frying cheese curds. We also have a certified kitchen here. Um, we might be making raclette, which is, you know, a beautiful melted winter type dish of cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, the grazing board is great. We have a local winemaker who comes down in her VW bus, which is her tasting room, and <laughs> actually inspires joy. So we have wine and cheese. and. There's something so important, I think, to having people on the farm and seeing the cows and looking across the valley at fields that we've been farming for over 30 years. How Mm -hmm. could they not feel the connection to their food and feel the value of, like, whether it's building community or, or really understanding where the food comes from? Because, you know, I don't, I don't know if people really think of cheese as an agricultural product. You know, I know they don't necessarily think of beer, and but we're here to like remind them that this came from the milk from these cows and this is what the cows are eating. 
and it's kind of a cool it's a really great relation it's a really cool thing to have people out yeah i actually i actually don't think your average consumer really considers food as an agricultural product they you know they think their food comes from the grocery store they don't really think about unless like when you like the local stories and connecting on the phone until they make that connection until they hear that story they think their food comes from the grocery store and they don't think about the farm where it comes from and i think having this opportunity to connect is so empowering not only for us as farmers but for them as consumers because they're opened up to this whole new world behind the food that they eat which i think is really cool yeah i can't agree with you more it is it's like how do we put the face to the food and i think we're you know as an industry we're doing better and better at that but you know we have a long way to go because it's hard in that kind of commodity food system to make that impact so we kind of want to do our part and sort of promote, you know, while we're here talking about cheese, we're talking about Pennsylvania products. And, you know, hopefully um, when somebody drives past a, a tractor, they slow down because they understand that, hey, that farmer is out working right now and we need to give them mm-hmm. a little bit of grace on the road. Maybe it mm-hmm. makes a difference. I'd like to think it yeah. will. So can you tell me a little bit about how you work with other cheesemakers across the state or even across the country? Yeah, um, Pennsylvania is really fortunate. We have a cheese guild here that, um, I can't remember, I should know right off the top of my head. I feel like we started it in around 2013 or so. Um, But, you know, we have some of the most amazing cheeses made in the United States, and if not the world, right here in Pennsylvania, and not a lot of people know about it. Um, and so the Guild is here to educate other cheesemakers, provide marketing support, um, like have a place where we can, you know, talk to each other about, you know, hey, I had a problem in my aging room, or, you know, what do you do? Where did you get these cheese forms? Because um, there's not really this. Um, history of cheese making here on in a small way the way um, we need to be connected so if the guild can help do that you know provide education provide community um, market more cheese go to different events um, and share the cheeses of pennsylvania that's a really great thing so the cheesemakers in pa are amazing like in the fact that they support each other um you know they're never just all out for themselves you know you go somewhere to a farmer's market and ask somebody for goat cheese and they're a cow's milk person and they'll say oh go right down to so-and-so mm-hmm. they have goat cheese you know like that's kind of cool so mm-hmm. that's one way that i work with cheese makers in pennsylvania um i love to come out to your events center for dairy mm-hmm. excellence and showcase the cheese and tell the story of the cheese makers um, but i'm also involved with the american cheese society and we have a conference every year, and there's a competition that goes along with it. And at this conference, there's a lot of educational sessions, and I am on the committee for that. So um, we're always looking to see, you know, what's next in cheese, or what do we need to focus on on food safety? Um, what are the needs of the members, whether they're cheesemakers or cheesemongers or importers or distributors or scientists or writers? So that is really a great opportunity because then I have a even larger connection so that we can share that with folks who may not be able to get to that conference because they're milking cows or there's not enough people mm-hmm. at, at the farm to cover it. On a small way, in a small way of working with other cheesemakers, um, my friend Stephanie from Valley Milk House and I and another woman, Alex Jones, have a a business called Collective Creamery, which is a cheese subscription. And while it, we use that to promote our cheeses in monthly shares, we also bring in guest cheeses from cheesemakers in Pennsylvania and along um, the Mid-Atlantic up to Vermont and try to promote them as well. So um, it's a small community and, you know, they're a great resource. And I think um, there's some amazing cheeses being made. So the more we can connect and work together and understand each other, the better it is for all of us. 
Yeah, that's a really neat idea. Collective creameries and then you share you share different things. So I actually just um looked it up. Do you actually have a podcast too? <laughs> we are we the podcast went on hiatus during the pandemic, but we have been talking about bringing it back. So we do have a podcast where we've visited um cheesemakers in the whole region and interviewed them and got their story. But that's really fun. We're we're going to start it back up here in the spring. Well, for anyone interested, you just have to Google Collective Creamery and it comes up and it actually looks really cool. I never knew about this before. Um, but back to my other questions. Um, so when does the holiday ordering season start for you? Well, things really start to ramp up um I'd say in October, you know, as the season, you know, starts to cool down, people are really starting to think, oh, they consume a lot more cheese, but also the cheese shops really start ramping up their inventory for the Thanksgiving time. You know, Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. is always a very, very big holiday for us. Um, I think we had our highest sales this past Thanksgiving that we've ever had, which we were really thrilled about. Um, and then it continues to build on itself right up till Christmas. So we've been busy shipping out orders, um, doing events, you know, just selling at farmers markets. And then our wholesalers have really been going through a ton of cheese. We work with Longwood Gardens and um, they get so much more cheese during this time of year. I'm like, I just send them out, you know, a nice big order on Monday. I guess for the holiday week, so many people are visiting um, the lights there. But that's how it is. You know, this is a big part of our business. Probably 30% increase in sales happened in the last quarter um, for us, maybe even a little bit more just through holiday shipments, gift boxes, and sales at the farm and markets. So do you um, so do you build stock? And I mean, and nationally, we actually build butter stock coming into the holiday season. So I assume, are you building stocks all year long to prepare for the holiday season? What's that look like? Yeah, we really start to build the inventory because uh, we have some really long age cheeses. So we'll start working on them in January for the next December and January for the mm-hmm. next year. But then a lot of them are aged um, like uh, about three months. So I really start ramping up in August. You know, we really start hammering down and making a lot of cheese. It, it feels like we don't really have a slow season anyway. We just make as much cheese as we can all the time. <laughs> and, know, and know we're going to sell it as much as we can fit in there. But we know we absolutely have to have so many um, batches of blue, so many batches of fat cat, red cat, all the bloomies. So we have a good idea what we're going to go through. And then we, you know, probably try to increase it by a good 20% just in case something were to happen. Maybe a batch doesn't work out. So Mm -hmm. we try to always have plenty of cheese in case some big order drops, you know, in our laps, we'll be prepared for it. I always say I can sleep in January for about one night. (laughs) (laughs) So I so I know there is a lot that gets you excited about the artisan cheese business, but what gets you really excited? Like what just really inspires you about the artisan cheese business? Well, I think there's a, I could answer this a couple of different ways, but I do want to say milk is really an exciting raw ingredient. You know, you can take this seemingly simple ingredient milk that is so pure and you can translate it into so many different textures and flavors depending on what we do in the vat in the aging room and the techniques that we're using that i feel like there's so many opportunities for possibilities to like bring out something new to people and to me that is really exciting it's always fun to have the challenge of starting something new And I really love trying to find beyond that, working with milk and the excitement around that, um, just see potential in, in, you know, bringing different cheeses out to to the marketplace. But also that 
I'm excited because people in general seem to be looking for something different. And what will that look like for family farms all around the region? Will that mean, you know, people can host different types of events on their farm or can they collaborate in different ways? Um, could they collaborate with a brewery? I just always want to remind myself to stay open to the world of possibility because, you know, some idea could pop into your head or you could see, read about something happening somewhere else in the world or in another state and think, well, how could that translate to my farm? How could mm -hmm. I make that different? And so that's exciting to me. I'm excited because here in Pennsylvania also, um, we have a couple of new small creameries that are popping up that are milking sheep. And, you know, there's a lot of challenges around um, sheep's milk cheese because of the lactation um, curve for sheep. You know, it's a very short lactation schedule. They don't give a lot of milk, but it is really, to me, like the most beautiful milk to make cheese of. And I'm from, and I'm really excited that we're going to round out this beautiful offering of products from Pennsylvania with some new sheep's milk cheeses. I mean, that's pretty darn exciting. We have one just over the hill from us in Downingtown that started last year, and I tried to get to the farmer's market so I can pick up their yogurts. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, that's kind of neat that there's people doing something different and interesting, and it really adds to the diversity of what we're all doing. You know, what I think is so fascinating about making cheese is the opportunity you have. I I do think that milk, people don't often think about how versatile it is. It is one of the most versatile. I mean, how what other products produced on the farm can you make into so many different things? And with the cheese, you really get to be creative. I mean, I don't know of any other product where you, it lends itself to much so much creativity in the the preparation and processing piece. It's just that is really exciting the opportunity to be so creative in what you're doing. Yeah, it keeps it um interesting and lively. You know, it keeps us engaged mm -hmm. in such a a really impactful way, I think. You know, like, oh what could we do with that? <laughs> <laughs> So given the time of year that we're in, what gets you excited about the holiday season? Well, I really love um, coming up with some special holiday cheeses that our customers wait all year for. Um, we do a cheese with our Bertrand Blue. It's called Figgy Blue. Um, I have a friend who um, grows sort of specialized crops for restaurants and she has a bunch of fig trees so she harvests all of her fig leaves for me um before the last before the first frost and i take the fig leaves and i soak them in an apple brandy and um, macerate them and then we wrap the wheels of blue in all of these fig leaves that basically have absorbed all this apple brandy and then we vacuum seal the bags tight and age it for about a month like that and it's such a beautiful thing. Now, this technique is um, happens all over the world of using leaves to enhance the flavor of cheeses or to protect them. In fact, there's a cheese from um, Rogue Creamery out in the Pacific Northwest who we were inspired by that makes one called Rogue River Blue. They use grape leaves because there's a beautiful wine industry out there. And that cheese was actually named best in the world two years ago. So a cheese from the U.S. So mm -hmm. I think it's fun to like take that idea. And we've been doing this for, I don't know, maybe eight years. I just make a few select wheels, maybe 20 wheels. And then people wait all year long for this little boozy kind of fun little blue cheese. Mm -hmm. We also do another cheese um, with a camembert style, this little shardy named after the cow, where we make um, like a mushroom cream with fromage blanc and creme fraiche, both other products we make here in the creamery. And we um, put a layer of that inside the cheese. We cut the cheese in half, we layer it with that, we put the top on and it's just rich, it's decadent and it's just evocative of the season. You know, it speaks mm -hmm. to sort of this decadent time. So I love that people set some of their traditions with their family around 
very simply these cheeses that we make once a year. And that's really great. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's fun to people. They could shop anywhere in the world online. And sometimes, you know, we get orders from people all over the country and they've chosen us to share our mm-hmm. cheeses with their family or people that are important to them. I don't know. That's really special, Jane, like to know that decisions are made based on our family, the quality of the cheese and our farm and how people will use their hard-earned money. Like they work hard to earn this money. And so how they spend it is important. And we never want to lose sight of that when they are investing in us. It's really special to think that your product was chosen as a gift that somebody is giving to somebody they love over that season. That's really neat. So my last question is actually um, if another farmer came to you and asked how they could get started in the cheese business, what would you tell them? What what do you think the first steps they should take are when venturing into making cheese? And what pitfalls do you think they should be aware of? When I first started making cheese, Peter Dixon, you know, who we mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. he said, cheese making really needs to be on a farmstead operation. It's threefold. There should be somebody to manage the cows. There should be somebody to make the cheese and, and age it. And then there should be somebody to market it. And I thought, well, that's ridiculous. I can do all that. (laughs) You know what? (laughs) You can do it for a little bit, but it's, it's hard, you know, we started making cheese because we have this love of the dairy. And for me, I love the cows and I never get to milk the cows or be with the cows. I rarely am I there. I spend all my days um, from, I don't know, I spend a lot, all my days at the cheese room. So I would say um, if you're going to make cheese, make sure that you can, you know, like if you're in the dairy side, Make sure you can do without that person milking the cows or feeding the calves or doing breeding or working in the field because as you grow this business, there has to be somebody who is really dedicated to the cheese making side of it Mm -hmm. to make it work as much as you're dedicated to the cows. And then, you know, I think the first thing is even before that is do you like cheese? You know, do you like cheese? Do you love that? Because I think you have to have a passion for it and a love for it to really do it and give it due. And and then know what type of cheeses do you want to make? Is it one cheese? Because a lot of people say make one cheese and that's it. Um, there's a great place out um, in Wisconsin. They make a cheese called Pleasant Ridge, Pleasant Ridge Reserve. And they basically make two cheeses and that's it. For us, we knew we wanted to sell at farmer's markets. And if you go to a farmer's market, one one cheese, that's going to be challenging. So really think about what types of cheeses you want to make. Try to understand them. Um, decide, you know, is there a market for that where you live? You know, mm-hmm. and is there a price point? You have to think about the pricing structure around it as well. Um, and, you know, I don't necessarily say to farmers you know about the food safety like because i feel like farmers dairy farmers are so aware of compliance and quality standards that that is kind of a natural thing to learn about like as you get into the cheese making like i i think that you know dairy farmers are so smart and so thoughtful about quality milk that that they don't would not necessarily have a problem going into cheese making from that standpoint I think it really comes from, you know, can you, do you have a person to make the cheese and can you have them not in the dairy side, the milk production side of the operation if they need to go full time making cheese? Um, And I would say apprentice somewhere. You know, I didn't apprentice anywhere. I just started making cheese and I really worked hard to like meet other people and talk to other people and read a lot of books and went to every conference I could. But if you could spend time apprenticing with somebody, it would do, it would just do so much a world of good. I think it would be so valuable Mm -hmm. to have that hands-on experience with a seasoned cheesemaker. That's all, that's all really good advice. I often say when we often get a lot of phone calls from people who want to go into the value added, 
business and I mean it's funny that you said I wake up I woke up and decided I wanted to make cheese and sometimes I think people think it's that easy and it's really not it takes a lot of training and you have to look at your natural skill sets and what you're passionate about and I think you kind of spoke to all of those things and the huge amount of learning you had to do to get into the business so um, thank you so much for joining me today, Sue. I always enjoy talking to you. I love hearing your stories. And I'm so glad that others got to learn a little bit about your farm and a little bit about the artisan cheese industry. So thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you so much, Jane. It's always such a pleasure to speak with you and, you know, talk about the dairy industry. We're in it together. Yep, we all are. So, and then thank you, too, to all our listeners. Thank you for joining me. This time of year always reminds me of the blessings we all share in this industry. So on behalf of our team at the center, I want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a blessed New Year. As always, this podcast is brought to you by the Center for Dairy Excellence to share farmer insight, tricks of the trade, and inspiring stories from dairies across the state. For more episodes, you can subscribe to the series on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music. And as you celebrate the holidays this year, consider featuring Pennsylvania cheeses at one of your holiday parties this year. Happy New Year and happy Merry Christmas, everyone. Thanks for joining.